Hi, I'm Edwards Three, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. What if I told you about a father who was instructed by someone to take his son to go on a journey, to go on a hike, and then go summit a mountain, and when they got to the top of the mountain, the father was instructed to kill his son and sacrifice him. You say, that's crazy. What, what kind of story is that? Well, it's a story we're actually going to encounter at Mass this Sunday. It's a part of the, the, the Scripture readings. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 22, a famous story of the Old Testament, the story of Abraham and Isaac. You may be familiar with it. God calls Abraham to take his son to go up Mount Moriah and offer him up as a sacrifice. What is that all about? What kind of God does that? He's telling someone to, to kill his own son? Now, you may know the end of the story, and if you don't, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you now, and you're going to hear it again on Sunday anyway. So God intervenes in the end as Abraham's about to slay his son. God sends an angel, prevents him from doing it, and says, Abraham, you have proven your great faith, basically. You've been willing to give up everything, even your own son. You've not withheld your own son to God. This is this is a tremendous test, and you have shown your tremendous faith and trust in the Father. And there's a lot there, and that's beautiful, but still, a God that asks a man to sacrifice his son? That's crazy. Well, is that just like the Old Testament, you know? Or maybe this is just weird things are in the Old Testament. It doesn't have to make sense. No, no, no. You need to know that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And there's something really powerful happening in this story that many, many Christians miss out on, but not the earliest Christians. Many of the early church fathers all knew this. They saw what was really happening in the scene and how it's so important, not just for us to understand Abraham and Isaac, it's going to be really important for us to understand Jesus, and it's going to be really important for us understanding how God wants us to give everything to him, and he gives us so much more in return, and that's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edwards Three, and I want to give a warm welcome to any new listeners, especially to those who may have been at the St. Louis Catholic Men's Conference this last weekend. It was a joy to be with you all. Thanks for checking out the show. You know, we're in Lent now, and I want to just share with you something about the beautiful devotion of Stations of the Cross. So maybe they do this at your parish. I'm sure, you know, there's, there's some kind of stations going on. Um, maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's, you know, a couple times during the Lenten period. But it's a beautiful devotion. It's the, I don't know if you know this, it's the earliest of Christian devotions. In fact, it has its roots going back to the early Christians in Jerusalem who would go back to remember where Jesus died and where he rose from the dead. They would trace his footsteps from Gethsemane and, and go into the city of Jerusalem and remember where he was condemned to death and where he was scourged and where he carried the cross. And the early Christians were celebrating this ritual of remembering the places where Jesus spent his last days and his greatest suffering and his agony and his death. And, and then Christians around the world began imitating that in their own local areas. And, and this great devotion continued to grow around the world called Stations of the Cross. And it's a beautiful devotion if we want. If we want the story of, of what Lent is all about, the story of Christ's amazing love for us written on our hearts, we want to do the Stations. And Catholics should do the Stations not just in 
a Friday in Lent, we're invited to pray it all throughout the year. Many times I'll, I'll pull out the stations and just think about them. I'll pray the stations in my car sometimes or when I'm traveling. It's a beautiful devotion, but especially in Lent. Maybe you've been away from the Stations of the Cross for a while. You can check out a book that I wrote called Pocket Guide to Stations of the Cross. This book goes through the rich history of this devotion, answers many questions about it, gives practical tips on how we can pray it better. And most of all, you know, there's so many Stations of the Cross, little pamphlets that have been done throughout the centuries. This is a more fresh take on the Stations of the Cross, drawing on insights from many modern saints like St. John Paul II, uh, St. Mother Teresa, St. Therese of Lisieux, and, and many others to, to really, and, and lots of biblical insights to, to help us enter into the Stations of the Cross, to encounter Jesus's amazing love that is revealed most fully in his passion. So if you want to walk with Jesus this Lent and really live Stations of the Cross, you can check out my book called Pocket Guide to Stations of the Cross, put out by our good friends at Ascension Press who produced this podcast here. Uh, It has the fresh reflections on the 14 traditional Stations of the Cross. And I also offered reflections on all of the biblical Stations of the Cross that John Paul II introduced in the 1990s, giving us another angle on how we could think about the the, the pathway of Jesus to Calvary by following the scriptural passages uh, along the way to his passion and death. So you can check that out there. And one other thing I just want to mention, if you happen to be in any of these cities, Atlanta, South Texas and Laredo, Texas, or Baltimore, I'm coming your way in the next next couple of weeks. I'm going to be in Atlanta this week in Monroe, Georgia at St. Anna's Parish on the 21st. And I'll be in Peachtree, Georgia, outside of Atlanta at Holy Trinity Parish. Anyone's welcome to come. Would love to meet you there if you're in the Atlanta area. And then March 2nd, I'm going to be in the Diocese of Laredo, Texas, speaking at their big conference there. Uh, And then in the 8th and 9th of March, I will be in the Baltimore area. On March 8th, I'll be speaking Friday night at John Hopkins University for all the university students in the Diocese of Baltimore. So whether you're in the Naval Academy, whether you're at John Hopkins, whether at the University of Maryland, and I'm sure they're going to welcome you if you come from the D.C. Diocese diocese or the Arlington diocese, not too far away as well. Um, Come join us Friday night at John Hopkins Newman Center there on campus. And then on the 9th, I'm going to be at the Catholic Men's Conference in the great city and diocese of Baltimore on that Saturday. But let's talk about what Abraham was asked to do. I'm going to, I'm going to just read for you a couple key lines. If you know, when I teach this in a class, I tell everybody, hey, underline these key words. So you may not, you may be driving right now. You may be on your treadmill. You may be running an errand or whatever. You may not be able to do that. But I'm going to highlight some key words in the story that really help make it come alive and help us to see clearly what God is doing here. So first of all, it tells us that God says to Abram in Genesis 22, verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, before we get into the big question of why is he doing all this, I just want you to note a couple things. He says, take your only son, Isaac. So I want you to note that this is an only son, and it's called the son whom you love. So this is an only beloved son. So I always tell my students, underline only son, underline whom you love. So an only beloved son. And I want you to go to Moriah. What I want you to know is Moriah later on becomes a part of the, a, a great city that's known as Jerusalem. So Moriah is connected with Jerusalem. And then 
Abraham's supposed to offer his son as a burnt offering. Now, you may not know what that is, and you probably don't make many burnt offerings. I do when I'm trying to cook in the kitchen and my wife tells me, stay out of here. <laughs> I do many burnt offerings. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I like to highlight that a burnt offering, as we know from the Old Testament, is specifically an offering for sin. This isn't just any kind of sacrifice. This is a sacrifice that would be offered in the temple or, or, or an ancient Israelite before the temple was, was made. It would be an offering for sin. That's what that's for. Okay, then in verse three, it tells us that Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. So I want you to note that, that he, how does he, how does he get to Mount Moriah? How is he arriving there toward that mountain? He goes on an ass. He goes on a donkey. And then it tells us on the third day, Abraham said to the men, stay here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come back to you again. Now, I want to highlight this. This is really important here in verse five. And I want to be clear that there's a great mystery surrounding this scene. And I'm not going to be able to answer every question about why God asked him to do this. Clearly, it was a test. Clearly, and, and if you know the story of Abraham, his faith was being tested over and over again. He trusted, but not enough. And so God invites him to trust more and invites him to trust more. And this is the greatest act of trust that God invites Abraham to. But what's fascinating here is this little verse in verse five that I just read to you is a key into Abraham's tremendous faith that Abraham trusts God. He knows God promised. And this is part of the background. I want you to know about the story. God promised that Abram was going to have a son and that through his son, uh, there, there would become a great nation. There'd be so many people through the, his descendants. They'd become the great nation, the nation of Israel. And, they, and this, this, this great people would eventually become a kingdom and then eventually become the instrument for blessing the whole world. This is what God promised. And so while any father would be bewildered about why God is asking me to sacrifice my son. For Abraham, this could be a huge dilemma, an extra dilemma, because, because God promised that not only he was going to have a son, but this son was going to have many descendants. And, and here he is, he's going to take this boy before he's even married, before he has any kids, and he's going to kill him. How, how is God going to be faithful to his promises? Abraham knows. Abraham knows that whatever is happening here, God is faithful. And God is going to fulfill his promises. There's no way God is going to allow my son to die. There's no way that whatever he's asking me to do, to go up here on the mountain, there's no way my son is going to die. I'm going to get my son back. And, and that's what he says. And you don't see it in the, your English translation, most English translations, but in the Hebrew, it says, stay here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and we will come again. We will come back to you. We in other words, we have in the inspired word of God an indication of Abraham's total faith in God. We're going to come back. Not just me. I'm coming back with Isaac. We are coming back to you. I trust my father. I know him and I, I don't understand what he's asking me to do. I don't, under, I don't see where this is going, but I know, I know he's faithful and he promised that I would I have this son and this son would become a great nation and, 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 and his offspring would become a great kingdom and, and be the instrument for blessing the whole world. I know that the whole of humanity 
the entirety of the human family are, is depending on this son. There's no way that my father is going to take him away from me. So he doesn't understand what's happening, but he trusts. What's God asking you to do? Maybe there's certain things in your life you're sensing. Maybe God's inviting me to make this change. He's inviting me to end this relationship. Maybe he's inviting me to start a new relationship. Maybe God's inviting me to move to a new city, take a new job. Maybe God's inviting me to serve more in my parish. And I'm scared of all these things. I don't have time. Maybe God's inviting me to give up more money, to be more generous, especially this Lent and giving money to serve the poor. But I'm afraid because I want to cling on to things. I'm afraid I don't see, well, I don't see how that's going to do any good. And I'm struggling financially right now. Why would God want me to do this? Or I don't have enough time to pray. I'm too busy. I have too much going on. And yet I sense God might be wanting me to spend more time with him in prayer. That seems counterintuitive. I don't see it. I don't get it. This doesn't make sense, but I know God is faithful. Are you faithful to the Father? Do you trust Him? That's what the story is helping us to, to see. But there's more. So let's move on from verse 5 and see what happens next. In verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said to me, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abram said, God will provide for himself the lamb. And I think what's fascinating here is, is notice Isaac. Isaac isn't just a little kid. He's older. He's mature. He's old enough to know the intricacies of sacrifice. He knows, hey, we got fire. We got wood. But hey, where's, where's the lamb? We're supposed to have a lamb for this. I think many times we think he's like a little three-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old. But the ancient rabbis all understood that Isaac wasn't a little boy. He was a grown man or at least an adolescent. And he was somebody who was old enough to take on his dad. I mean, Abraham's over 99 years old at this time. I mean, he's, he's really old. And this isn't just like a little two-year-old or five-year-old. This is somebody that's probably 18 or 20. In fact, a lot of the art, if you look at some of the sacred art, in Rome, you'll see Abraham and Isaac in the scene depicting Isaac as a grown man. He, he has a beard. He, you know, he's, he's at least past adolescence here. And um, I think what that tells us is something about the faith of Isaac. I mean, we've been all looking at Abraham. Everyone talks about the great faith of Abraham. But Isaac is the one who's going to be sacrificed. <laughs> this, this, is the, this is even more intense for him. And yet he goes along with it. Many of the ancient rabbis understood Isaac was a voluntary victim, that he was willingly going along with God's plan on this. Again, I mean, wow. I mean, if Abraham had great faith, think about Isaac, who's well beyond the age of reason. He understands the intricacies of sacrifice. His father is an older man, and that, and he could have like ran away from him or pushed his dad away, and he allows himself to be bound and put on that altar that Abraham has. It's incredible. The faith of Isaac. This is all important for us to see. So I really want this, stay with me here because these little details I'm sharing with you, I'm going to just in just like two minutes, I'm going to tie a bow around it, bring it all together to see what this scene is ultimately all about. Then it says, they came to the place which God had told them. Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And then Abraham put forth his hand and took out the knife. 
But the angel of the Lord came and said, Abraham, Abraham. Then Abraham says, here I am. You know, I, I, I've got to believe that phrase we hear over and over again, here I am, Lord. You're over and over again in the Bible. This is probably the fastest here I am in the entirety of scripture. He says, here I am. Okay. And the angel says, do not lay a hand on your son. For God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, he's, he's going to bless you, Abraham. And it goes on and says, he's going to bless you and all the nations of the earth are going to find blessing through you. The story goes on to say. So here's what I want to highlight. And we're going to bring the whole story to a, a climax now. Is think about all the little details I just shared with you. Think about this father, Abraham, who has a, a son, an only son, a beloved son, son who he loves. And he goes to Moriah. He goes to Jerusalem. That's what Moriah is. And, and he's going to offer him there as an offering for sin. And they go there on the donkey. And then as they go up, Isaac carries the wood for the sacrifice. And then when he, when he gets up there, he comes back on the third day. He's going to be sacrificed, but he ends up coming back, coming back with Abraham. And there's a promise of a great blessing that's going to go out to all the world. Does that sound familiar to you? Can you think of another father that had an only beloved son? And that son went to Jerusalem. That son was named Jesus and his heavenly father sent him to Mount Moriah, which is Jerusalem in Jesus's day. And he's going to offer him up as an offering for sin. That's what a burnt offering was. Jesus dies on the cross for our sin. And how does Jesus get to Mount Moriah? How does he get to Jerusalem? He enters in on Palm Sunday riding on a donkey, just like Abraham had Isaac go to Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, on a donkey. And when he ascends the mountain, what does Isaac do? Isaac carries the wood of the sacrifice. What does Jesus do? As he ascends Calvary, he carries the wood of the cross, the wood for the sacrifice. And just as Abraham had great faith that he would get his son back, and the Bible tells us in verse four, it was on the third day. What, what happens, Jesus on the third day will be restored, will be resurrected. And then there's the great promise that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham because he was willing to give up his son. What is, when is that promise fulfilled? Where is that promise fulfilled? How is that promise fulfilled of the blessing going to all nations that happens on Calvary when Jesus, the only beloved son, goes to Moriah, goes to that same mountain to offer his life as an offering for sin? And just like Isaac, Isaac was old enough. He could have resisted his father. He could have said, I'm not going to go along with this. He could have pushed his dad away. He could have run away, but he didn't. He freely chose to offer his life. So Jesus offers his life as a voluntary victim. No one takes his life from him. He lays down his life of his own accord. Jesus surrenders his life on Calvary. And he goes there riding on the donkey. He goes there going up, up carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And through Jesus and his sacrifice, his offering for sin, blessing goes out to the entire world. Did you know that this first reading that we have this upcoming Sunday from Genesis 22 is not just a story about something that happened a long, long time ago in the Old Testament? It's not just a story even about what Jesus does, prefiguring all that Christ does step by step. That's amazing in itself. It's also a story about you and me. 
Because way back in Genesis 22, Jesus was thinking about you. He's thinking about me. The heavenly father was thinking about you and thinking about me. He was thinking about the blessing he wanted to give us. And we have received that forgiveness of sins, the effects of that so-called burnt offering on Calvary, the sacrifice of Christ. We receive that forgiveness of sins. God was thinking of us. This is just amazing how the Bible comes together from the Old Testament to Jesus, to our lives in the church today. It's all one story. We are a part of that same story. And God is inviting us to love him, to follow him, and trust him like Abraham. Abraham did not have perfect faith at the beginning. He's known as the father of faith. But wow, he struggled. He doubted. He made many, many mistakes. And I know I do too. And I bet if you're like me, you struggle as well. But it gives us great hope that step by step, the more we learn to trust, the more we learn to sacrifice, that we can give God our entire hearts withholding nothing back. And when we do that, God gives us so much more in return. And that's, that's what the Christian mystery is all about. Jesus models that in giving himself completely and in doing that, in trusting his life into the hands of the Father. The Father raises him and glorifies him and his light goes out to the world and his salvation goes to the world. And that's the model of the Christian life. If we put our lives entirely in the Father's hand, like Abraham did prefiguring what Jesus did, what Jesus himself does on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We put ourselves into the Father's hands. That total perfect trust that you see prefigured by Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus, is meant to be reproduced in our lives. Let's trust the Father. He's a faithful Father. Let's trust and love Him, and let's thank Him for His marvelous plan of salvation from the Old Testament to the New and to our lives today. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. Blessed Lent. We'll see you next week.